Welcome to The Real Python Podcast. This is episode 79. Where are you along the path of learning Python? Do you feel like you're making progress? And what are ways you can put the learning path into a more precise focus? This week on the show, we talk with previous guest Martin Broyce about his recent article, How Long Does It Take to Learn Python? Martin discusses methods for measuring your progress and the various reasons for learning the language. We talk about how different backgrounds will affect your approach. We also suggest resources to help you along your path. We share a couple of recent Python projects to round out the episode. The first is a library to draw stylized maps from OpenStreetMap data. The other is a framework for the analysis and visualization of trees, which includes a set of phylogenomic tools. This episode is sponsored by RevAI, the most trusted way to build global speech-to-text to insights products, and workflows. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Martin. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Chris. Nice to be here again. Yeah. So it's a lot of little changes here with the the Real Python family. And since we last spoke, you've become a full-time employee with Real Python, changing from what you were doing before. I have, yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. So, what are the, some of the things that you're you're doing now that you're part of the core team? So, I'm basically working here as a content creator, which just means there's a lot more of what I've been doing before as an external author and, and video course creator. So, I just make more content. Plus, uh, now I also do reviews, articles, and, and videos that other course creators make. And a little bit of interacting with the community and answering comments and being present on the Slack channel, things like that. And I guess as you know, since we're working in a pretty small team, there's always a lot of additional <laughs> startup type tasks that come along that then just get tackled on the side. Yeah. There's a lot of uh sort of cross pollination and <laughs> different skills being used across different lines. Yeah. I appreciate your help with the the reviewing of the videos. That's been great. Yeah, it's it's been really fun. I've been I've been doing similar things before, and since I've already before joining, I've already seen both pipelines, the both the written side of content creation and the video one. It's it's nice to be a bit in between and get get a bit of an insight into into all the parts that are happening. Yeah, it's a neat machine <laughs> to kind of watch it work. Yeah. So I wanted to have you come on to talk a little bit about the article that you recently had published on the site that ask the question, how long does it take to learn Python? Yes, the, <laughs> the question of all questions. <laughs> yeah, so you have like a, a one-sentence answer? Uh, yeah, it's it's exactly 3.4 weeks. Okay, cool, great. All right, I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you end up uh, picking that topic? So I've been working with a lot of students before, and this is just a question that comes up a lot because I think it's partly because of uh, how Python gets presented as this like very beginner-friendly, easy language that you just, you know, you pick it up in, uh, in a weekend. Yeah. 
and then you're ready to write you know production ready apps or whatever and there's quite a lot of there's actually quite a bunch of this sort of blog posts out there where someone's like oh yesterday i woke up uh, and decided i'm gonna learn python and by the evening i had a functioning mid-level startup going or something like that. <laughs> yeah not extremely realistic <laughs> not extremely realistic no and i, I mean I don't know, maybe there are some people who really manage to do something crazy like that, but I really think that there is much more to learning anything and also to learning Python, obviously. Like, it's, it depends a lot on what's your, uh, how do you come into starting to learn Python? What's what's your background? Also, what's re- really your aim? What do you want to do with it? Yeah. And then also, what's the, you know, what, what are the resources that you have available, both in, in terms of time as well as also learning materials? And, and all of these factors really, like, influence quite uh, profoundly, I think, uh, of how fast it's going to be for you specifically to learn Python. Yeah, I think that'd be great to kind of tear some of those apart and dive deeper into them. Yeah. Maybe we could start with a little bit of your background. Um, I know we might have talked about it earlier, but we could just talk a little bit about specifically you getting into into Python and um, kind of like a little bit of your journey on that side. Sure. Yeah, for me, uh, I started programming pretty, I don't know if it's pretty late, <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Who cares about time? Right. right. I haven't been doing a lot of those kind of conversations. I'm, I'm more like kind of been focusing on like what are people doing yeah. now with it? But I think in this context, it'd be kind of interesting to say like how you kind of pivoted into um, specifically Python. Yeah, sure. So um, I started Python as the first programming language that I picked up and I started programming really out of the ambition to get a bit of a better understanding of how to think mathematically, I guess. Yeah. I, I kind of had the feeling um, I was always more on the side of we think about literature or uh, what's it called? Actually, there's like a term for this. the Liberal arts liberal sometimes arts, we call it. I think yeah. that's what you call it. Yeah. In, yeah. In it's like, like, you know, kind of learning for learning sake in some cases. And it's very broad spectrum. Like I, I really want to get as much as I can out of this co- collegiate uh-huh. or university experience. And, and like very broad interest and, uh, you know, just not very scientifically mathematically, I would say. Okay. I kind of had the feeling that this part of the world or this part of thinking about things, I didn't have it as developed as the other part. And I kind of, at some point after school, after university, even I kind of decided that I'd want to invest some time and energy into developing this side of you know perceiving the world and just thinking about stuff also a bit more and uh, it's just going into pure mathematics didn't seem accessible at all this is this feeling when you look at a wikipedia math article for me where there's where it's just spiked with formulas everywhere <laughs> and it's just kind of <laughs> yeah uh, like a foreign language that, that is really hard to get started on you know and programming in itself seemed like a more approachable way to, to go into that direction because it just has these words that you're working with. Like you, you name something, you give it a name, and then you work with the name, which makes it much more approachable for me, at least. And so I went into that and also really enjoyed the aspect of that you can actually create things and that you can build something. You can be, you can be quite creative with programming and uh, make little programs that do something that work or build websites that display something and look beautiful if you've got the knack for it or train uh, how to do that you know yeah and that's just that's always been fun and uh, engaging for me so it's been a way for me to have project-based and and actionable things to look into the more 
mathematical side of my brain, I guess, and train that. That's really how I got into it. Yeah, it sounds like you have a, you kind of define two of those things then, like partly why you wanted to, to learn Python was partly to sort of explore those areas. Correct, yeah. And I've, I've tried to also, you know, lay this out in the article a bit to, to give readers a, a chance to just get their own, like a, a good understanding for what it is for themselves. Like, why are they really into in that? And just give a couple of examples. And yeah, I think for me, it was a lot this curiosity and just also wanting to understand how do a lot of things function? You know, you work with a computer or a phone uh, on an everyday basis, but how do you move from being just a consumer of these things to to a little bit a creator or at least you know an understander i know that's not a word but <laughs> you know what <laughs> okay. i'm trying to say yeah mine was a little more uh, on the side from the article you were writing about where it was a, a practical uh very specific thing where this job position that i was looking at they were interested in someone who had much more of a python background they at least at least had started to dabble in it. And so I'm kind of one of those people where I had mm-hmm. dabbled in lots of different languages. I had I've said so many times on the show, like I, the main one I was focusing on was working in creating lots of things in SQL and creating things inside of kind of specific tailor-made applications. And then I had dabbled with Swift and Objective C. And then long time ago I had done like C and and Fortran and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, I want to hone up on these things and at the same time I was dabbling in javascript and so forth so it was like kind of a hard pivot and then i do that immersion thing which i've said several times on the show where i'm like i want to get every resource possible <laughs> in front of me videos uh podcasts you know what have you and i'm gonna dive in and learn all this sort of stuff but with a specific aim of like you wanted to improve for a job yeah there's this position i wanted yeah yeah exactly yeah, that's a that's a just a, like you know every reason for for doing this uh, is completely valid reason for going into it. But they're probably gonna make you focus on different aspects, and it's go- probably gonna mean that you're gonna be faster or slower, or just learn different parts of the language because the whole ecosystem around Python is just so huge that learning everything <laughs> is just unrealistic. You know? Yeah, I was just listening to the conversation with the the new director in residence, uh, Lucas Longa, about you know he's he's got this backlog of fourteen hundred uh, pull requests or whatever <laughs> for the you know C Python and and every time he goes in to look at one of them, it it potentially is a new part of the language that he's looking at. You know, the standard library mm-hmm. is huge. You know, and this is just speaking of you know core python if you want to call it that uh versus like the expanded universe of all the different things you can do inside of python so yeah um mine was like they were looking for somebody to do automation and potentially build like dashboards and so at least i was able to focus in and and look at some very specific things which i think is maybe good like it sounds like you were interested in like okay i want maybe i want to try to do some some web stuff with this so you can kind of focus on that because i think you could really bite off way more than you can chew um with all the different possible things you can jump into definitely and uh, that's been actually kind of hard for me at the beginning because of not having such a uh, like a clear aim i think yeah of like what why am i really doing it just for exploring you know (laughs) sure there's a lot open to you but it's also it doesn't really give you any rails to go on right i guess yeah 
And yeah, I, I also I, I started with Python, but then I went into a couple of other languages just very much at the beginning and uh, played around with R and with JavaScript, Mo mostly those two, I guess, but also some other things a bit. And it doesn't make it easier to learn uh, the gr ground ideas of programming. <laughs> so I think if you have like some sort of this, this direction beforehand, it's probably really helpful. Yeah, it, it may be best to sort of, uh, maybe this isn't a good analogy. I was going to say like, if you're digging a hole, <laughs> digging may, yourself. I don't know. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> you may want to dig down a little deeper <laughs> before you start just going across. <laughs> oh, I see. And the the bad part about this is that it's just going to fall in on the sides. <laughs> yeah, potentially. I guess, I don't know. Maybe this is not a good analogy at all. <laughs> Here, let me break the subject up. Um, the idea that you were talking about of going to like the Wikipedia for for math. Mm -hmm. I saw this thing on Twitter the other day and I, it like kind of blew my mind a little bit because I'm, I'm the same way. Like, you know, certain things, you know, one of the things I like about Python is the white space and, and, uh, the way it looks and sort of, in my opinion, the readability of the, the code. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things with higher order mathematics or potentially statistics that they like to use these interesting Greek symbols for things, right? Like Sigma and mm -hmm. Phi and all these are kind of different things. Right. And so there was this person who posted like those scary looking math things. They're simply for loops. <laughs> and they explained like how you can take the numbers from above, you know, okay, that's your N. And then this is how many times it's going to loop around. And then this is the actual, it's mm -hmm. either summing or it's, it's creating a product and they had to do a little conversion. I'm like, Oh my God, that was a nice explanation. So I'll share that on. That's awesome. From Twitter. Yeah. It's actually really cool. Cause I, I, you know, it's one of these things like if you don't live in that world and you don't have it explained well to you, it can be rather hard to think. And now that I've been working with for loops a, a lot more, like that's a very easy way to kind mm -hmm. of pivot it and change it and make me think about it. And I think all those things are really helpful. Like the recent conversation I had with Sherry Eskines, she she wrote this series of books that are illustrated you could, could think of them as children's books, but they're also like a really great way to do like visual learning of something in Python and mm -hmm. having very specific stuff as she's kind of telling these stories. So the first book was like a kind of this day in Python, a day in code. And these kids kind of going through their whole day and the whole premise is like that you're writing the story in code to tell the computer what your day was like and what you did, which was kind of interesting. And then the next one is like taking fairy tales and, and, you know, pivoting them and like the sort of if LF of like Goldilocks, <laughs> uh <-huh>. you know, this, <laughs> yeah. uh, this is if too hot bad. or this is too cold. <laughs> so I thought that, Oh, that's kind of clever, you know? And so there's lots of those little things where if you have this other hook to help you kind of get into it, I think that might help, you know, especially, you know, somebody's younger or just starting out. It, it, it's nice to have concrete examples. And sometimes people coming from the CS world, their concrete examples that they've been working with have been foo and bar and, mm -hmm. and, you know, X and Y and, or in mathematics or statistics, like all the, those symbols and numbers are like, that's the world they came from. And so that makes sense. So sometimes having that person to help kind of guide you in through that lens <laughs> could be helpful. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's just like explaining programming with, uh, with mathematics, uh, completely makes sense to a lot of people, you know, and yeah. it's a, it's a great way of doing it if that's your background. But it, there's like the nice thing about, uh, I, and I really love this, uh, if people try to find different approaches and different angles on it, 
that can lead you to this uh, understanding and, and just some sort of appreciation of programming, whether you end up doing much with it or not, you know. I think it's really nice because it also increases the diversity of people who who even like find and find it accessible and then you know just this uh, the more people can con contribute to um, an area that is so influential uh, today you know the better it is I think the more people that find some sort of way uh, to to do something there and and understand that it's also relatable to them and yeah you got to find your own way to get there I guess but also the more educators or just Or just general people who are interested in 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 helping others out, and and the more people uh, show it from different angles and different perspectives, I think the richer the whole field gets, and, and that's something I really like. So, what were some of the resources that that helped you get into it from kind of your liberal arts background that you used as resources? So, I don't know anything specifically about resources. I did a couple of courses uh, online at that time, some some MOOCs and uh, free courses that I could find. Oh, yeah, that's right. But I think like what helped me was uh, text. Um, I really like working with text. Okay. Uh, just like the variables in themselves, just giving names to things, what I already mentioned before. But then also, you know, you have like some sort of, let's say, a novel or even a short text. It doesn't really matter. And you, And then you do something with this text on a programmatic basis. Like, I don't know, let's just pick out all of the vowels. I don't know, that's probably not that interesting, you know. But I don't know, I, I remember actually one project that I did at some point at the beginning was that I, I took one of these data sets that I included in this NLTK library, the Natural Language Toolkit yeah. for Python, yeah. And, and it has some data sets included, some, some textual data. And one is the speeches of U.S. presidents from, I don't know, forever probably all of them and then i i was reading a little bit about a language generation in general i guess i, I don't i don't actually remember all the way but uh, i remember that, that one project that i did there that it was uh, that i removed all of the um, not the vowels but i removed all of the verbs from the text okay and just kind of i think I, i just tried to keep the nouns in there and then just look at the text what does it you know like what's it what it looked like if you have only nouns in there and that's just something that you couldn't really do on i mean if you did that by hand just look at every word and figure out is it a noun yeah. is it a verb and then cross <laughs> it out or something it's just not very accessible or maybe it's a fun maybe it's a fun you know meditative process if you want to do that but <laughs> with with the nltk toolkit you can just tag the part of speech in the text run something over it and then just remove it and then you have the text there only made out of nouns <laughs> yeah no that's cool like there's a lot of interesting language processing stuff that i've seen everything from analyzing you know like sentiment is one of those things that that's mm -hmm. very common in, in kind of marketplace kind of stuff but then on the other side uh looking at classic literature training different models on what would be involved in trying to recreate this type of text or it it also kind of Text is very, I don't know, I don't want to say it's finite, but it's more finite than than some other fields, potentially, mm -hmm. um, as far as the the ways that you can kind of tokenize text and say, you know, wh what's used where and, and so forth. And it, I haven't done a lot <laughs> with it, but it's something that I'm, I'm definitely interested in doing a little more uh, as far as delving into it. Rev AI. The most trusted way to build global speech-to-text-to-insights, products, and workflows. 
trained on more than 50,000 hours of human-transcribed verbatim speech data covering a wide range of topics. RevAI offers developers unparalleled speech recognition accuracy with word error rates lower than similar solutions from major players like Amazon and Google. Your first five hours are on us. Try us out today at RevAI. That's R-E-V dot A-I. I think that kind of gets us into the idea of like, were there other areas that that you focused on in the article of like, of the why? Like, you know, why would people want to learn it? Were there other areas that you felt that uh-huh. that could be useful? So I think, I mean, uh, one thing that we already mentioned uh, is definitely getting a job, you know, yeah. like uh, a career and job opportunities. Uh, and I think like, uh, I don't know exactly what was the situation for you. Maybe you can say that after, but I think it can be either that you're actually looking for a developer job or that you are already in a position where you want to move to be more technical. And I've seen with students that I've worked with that usually uh, if you're already in a position and uh, you want to move to being more technical, that's usually a good way to go. If you, if you know some programming, then this is very often appreciated you know, in your company because there are so many applications of it. So career and job opportunities, I would say, is definitely one of those things to go. And I think you've also mentioned that the job uh, that they wanted you to do was more automation related. So yeah. using Python for automation is definitely also a way to go. And, and the reason for learning it, I would say. Yeah, definitely for me, that was the main focus because to me, in some ways, it was kind of a nice jumping in point uh, because I wasn't really creating large scale applications that required like a lot of infrastructure. There were lots of processes that were still being done by hand mm-hmm. and it felt like, okay, we should be able to automate these processes and make them be able to just run on their own and, you know, put up some form of a scheduler, which kind of is a little more like a script in some senses, or, you know, maybe a fairly simple app that can be triggered to, you know, run when you need it. So it was actually kind of a nice starting place for some of my programming that I could definitely scale up and optimize it as I went. Yeah. And you can see from from these examples already, like your reason for starting to learn Python is going to take you down a, quite a different road than my reason for just, I don't know, just being curious or wanting to build some uh, useless, you know, language NLTK projects. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, we've had uh, several conversations lately talking about like electronics and kind of exciting kids to get into programming. Mm-hmm by having sort of physical stuff, but the world of sensors have, you know, or affordability of like individual sensors have made the idea of creating your own weather station or creating your own other devices at internet of things, kind of things inside your house with tools like MicroPython and CircuitPython are really kind of allowing that world to kind of open up. And maybe that's, you might be thinking of programming as a hobby or another area that you kind of can explore so that's another kind of a fun mm-hmm. area that you kind of included there. Totally. And just uh, and creativity. You can you can do digital arts with programming or or yeah, or just build some fun idea that you have in your head, you know. There's there's really a lot of things you can do. Yeah. I, I that's been kind of one of these also trends that, you know, definitely on my side of things that I've been trying to include as far as you know, things on the podcast to share a project and stuff. And I have another fun one <laughs> this week. 
you know, as things around like games or small projects. And one of the ones that I kind of keep coming back to is like being able to build stuff that you can complete, (laughs) you know, like tackling Mm -hmm. projects that you can kind of finish. So like, if that's, if that's your goal, keeping your sites kind of a little small initially and then building up, like I've talked to a couple of people about sort of game sort of stuff. And it's nice to be able to make that list of things that this isn't going to do. Like my game is going to do these things initially, but I'm not going to focus on all these other things. And, you know, maybe those are like to do later kind of stuff. I feel like that's kind of related to that idea of when you're learning a language, especially something that is as vast as Python, that you might bite way more than you can chew and you get sort of stuck and paralyzed, (laughs) if you will. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had that experience. Totally, yeah. And if you define your scope, like you said, at the beginning of like, what do you want to learn, then it's going to be easier. Yeah. So one of the things that you focused on was how you could maybe potentially measure your progress. You want to dive into that a little bit? Sure. So uh, I think my main point with this article was uh, also, I mean, to to give people um, a way to assess it for themselves, like where are they at in their learning journey? Yeah. Because um, I like <laughs> we we said at the beginning, it's three point four weeks exactly, and that's obviously <laughs> that's obviously not true. It right. really depends, right? Uh, which is. Uh, but but it depends also isn't a great answer because you can't really do anything with it depends. Um, so I was just trying to to give you some sort of a framework that you can use on yourself with assessing your background, assessing your reasons, and then also um, as this framework for assessing where are you at at the moment and what would your next steps kind of be to give you some sort of an idea of yeah what's the time or work effort that you have before you to get to the point where you want to be with with learning python yeah and the framework that i decided to go with uh in this article is called the four stages of competence yeah we've talked about that on the show um uh-huh. fairly recently with within the last five six months it kind of came up kind of naturally through one of our discussions and i think it's a really kind of good way to focus initially here <laughs> yeah it has like it just really defines a couple of you know state mind states that you can be in on a process of getting better at something and just something that you always run through and kind of like what you need to do to get from one place to the next one, I guess. Yeah, so uh, just as a quick overview of there's there's some scientific underpinning to this that I don't go into at all, but uh, just the idea of that you progress from not knowing that you don't know something right, (laughs) to knowing it so well that you can kind of like do it in your sleep, um, I would say that in quotes, but just without uh, putting in a lot of mental effort. Yeah, and you kind of used a comparison pretty often in in going between this sort of unconscious incompetence to being conscious and and so forth. You used a musician example a lot, which of course chimes pretty well with me. Like at this point, I, I can unconsciously pick up a guitar and play a song or or repeat something that was shown to me or potentially read music or, you know, all these kinds of different uh, concepts that, that it becomes fairly unconscious, but that the steps to kind of get there, like not knowing what you don't know uh, is such a huge thing with something like Python. And that's why, you know, we've already been focusing on this idea of like, okay, well maybe keep what you want to learn small initially and then, and then kind of 
give you a chance to kind of move into the next thing. So at least you can kind of quickly, well, fairly quickly assess like, okay, these are the things that I don't know, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And move into that level of conscious incompetence. Totally. You you also want to like, uh, this is also a process that's not going to be uh, on the scale of everything Python. So like you said, if you, if you have like a f- more focused scope, you can start there and just keep going until you're pretty good at it and then just leave the rest out for now. And then you can always cycle back and then just start again at the beginning into, and go in a slightly different direction, but go through those stages yet again. And that's just, I, I think it's like, there's not not really any way around it, you know? Yeah. If you want to learn something, you're always going to have to put in, in time and effort. That's just because you need to establish these paths in your brain that uh, actually help you do this. Like like you said, like uh, you learn the guitar, at first you need to learn how to hold it right. Then you need to learn how to do the chords correctly. And it's just, it's training. It's muscle training, um, muscle memory. And you need to do it over and over again and spend time until you just do it automatically. And it's the same with programming. There's just, there's concepts that you need to <laughs> kind of like look at many times and type it out many times yeah. and use it in applications a lot. And and only then they become so, uh, so frequent and so the brain paths get established for you so that then you can kind of like, they can step in the background and then you can more focus on what is the thing that you want to build or what is the song that you want to play with your guitar. Yeah, we we talked about it quite a bit with Al Swagger recently. Also, just oh, cool the idea of he had this you know this book, big book of small projects, and he said that initially, yes, you could potentially copy and paste this code and and run it, but after you've done that and kind of seen what the output is going to be of this you know existing piece of code you know, delete that <laughs> mm-hmm. and actually physically type it in. And that's something that, you know, I have to completely agree with the, the idea that that muscle memory of, you know, typing out is, you know, the, the structures and, and getting comfortable with, you know, where the white space goes and better than anything. And this is, goes back to our first conversation, which is go ahead and make some mistakes. <laughs> that's okay. It's going to, uh, maybe, you know, highlight the errors, but that's part of the learning process too. Yeah. And it's easier to understand with more, I, with more, you know, real world things like training. If you want to do some muscle training, you know, you, you know, you need to do the yeah. movements or, or guitars, you know, you need to hold the chords, right? It's a bit harder to understand that this, that it's actually quite similar with a for loop. <laughs> you just need to write it a couple of times, but there's no, this, this real world equivalent isn't really given. And that's, that works fine for some people. Uh, obviously, like they, they don't struggle with this uh, kind of like disconnect between, is it just digital or is it something that you do with your hands but also for people who are maybe more more practical or visual learners like that i guess not visual more practical learners uh, then uh, also just keep that in mind it's 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 actually pretty similar to some real world training (laughs) yeah i i feel like you know the best sort of training for me has been you know ones that use all these different types of things like i obviously people that listen to the podcast probably are in a way somewhat similar to me in the sense that they like to, to hear about what's happening mm-hmm. in the world of Python, but also like here are these concepts and maybe as they hear them initially and, and can't see them, 
it triggers part of their mind to remember those things and it's kind of filling in some of the conscious incompetence kind of stuff. I mean, that's definitely the experience that I had too of like, we've said this several times on the show also of the idea of going in and reading other code and and looking at code that's maybe beyond your current level that that you're sort of stretching a little bit now and saying, okay, well, I'm going to go look at this popular library or or other thing that's on GitHub or some other projects or potentially you've just sat down at <laughs> your new job and you're having to look at like the existing code that's Great. you know the company's using <laughs> and you're like okay what did they do here <laughs> and you know and people write things in different ways and there's different formatting and so forth in general but at that point that's where you can kind of like okay highlight like okay well okay i don't recognize these symbols and i don't recognize this style and this formatting and hopefully you know, you're able to kind of point your questions if you're in an organization. Hopefully there's someone that can you can gather up all those questions to and, and ask. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another real Python video course. The course is based on an article I mentioned briefly in our discussion this week and dives much deeper into that subject. You might feel you already know the basics about it, but it has so much more hiding under the surface. It's titled, Using the Python Return Statement Effectively. The course is based on a real Python article by Leodanas Pozoramos. And in the course, instructor Howard Francis takes you through the basics of how to use the Python return statement in your functions, how to return single or multiple values from your functions, differences between implicit returns and explicit returns, using return to short-circuit your loops, what are best practices to observe when using return statements, and how to structure more advanced return statements like factory patterns, decorators, closures, and more. I think it's a worthy investment of your time to learn how to harness the power of the return statement in your Python code. And like all the video courses on RealPython, the course is broken into easily consumable sections, and you get additional resources and code examples for the techniques shown. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the enhanced search tool on realpython.com. This kind of brings me to this idea that you were involved in quite a bit of of tutoring or mentoring, I should say. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure where that necessarily comes into place. Like, I feel like mentoring sometimes. Okay, let me take it on like kind of down the guitar path again. <laughs> if you don't know what you want to play or what you want to do with this instrument, or you are not going to practice when you're not there. Like if you're not going to practice at home, then I feel like the mentoring part can be kind of fruitless in some ways. Like you're not making any progress and you want to kind of blame it on that other person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, actually you got to sit there and, you know, do the thing, <laughs> you know, you know, in between like seeing the guitar instructor every week or whatever, and then giving you a set of exercises, you got to actually sit there and, you know, practice it and and get better. Yeah. I think for mentorship to be effective, you like uh, as a as a learner you have to know why you want to do it and you have to be ready to put in the time and the effort like if you don't have uh, one of I, I think you need all three of these you need to know why you want to do it and you need to be ready to put in time and effort and but then if you are ready to do these three things then i think mentorship can be one of those factors that i also mentioned in the article further down that can like really influence it and make it 
make your learning journey more effective because you have someone who's gone through the process, who understands what you're going through or can just get, you know, from the perspective of someone who already knows the answer to the question that you have right now, can just keep you engaged and nudge you forward a little bit so that you don't stop thinking about it and that, you know, that you don't give up, but you just keep going and put in a bit more time and a bit more effort and then come to this point that it suddenly clicks. And those are fun experiences to have, you know. <laughs> Probably from both sides, right? Definitely, yeah. It's it's always nice to see a student who, who just suddenly understands something that they've been struggling with. And it's, it's sometimes uh, a little, you don't want to be cruel and not give the answer when you already know it, but that's really the important <laughs> part about mentoring, you know, because if you just give the answer, then again, it doesn't put in this necessary strain, I guess, uh, on your, on your brain to just really build these pathways that you need to, to learn this for yourself. Yeah. That worries me sometimes with the, the I don't know, it's kind of a joke in some cases and, and I understand it and I understand the concept of deadlines and trying to get things done and so forth but the sort of copy and paste culture of code sometimes <laughs> scares me a little bit mm. and I, I could imagine you know that that happening in a mentor relationship i could i could see that as being one of these things where like okay well, i can tell you what to do are, are there techniques that you have to kind of add guide posts or street lamps or things that can help guide someone then is there techniques that you've developed in that process of mentoring specific techniques i think it's really just about keeping in mind that you don't want to give out the answer okay uh, and you just keep and then just engage with the person and just see uh, it's a little bit of you know anticipating where are they at uh, at the moment i guess you need as a mentor you need to understand you you need to know kind of know the answer to to the specific pro problem right or at least know how to find it i guess and then you also need to kind of understand where the student is at at the moment. And then from, from this combination, that sounds a little cloudy now, but from this combination, you can kind of like give this hints of, uh, I know I know you're standing over here and then now where you want to go is over there. So here's a next step for you. Okay. So maybe the guidepost would be just like, okay, giving them a couple of the steps to, to point them in the direction if they if they feel really lost at the moment. You can kind of at least say, okay, or ask them, like, what what do you think the next step should be? Like, what do you think? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's good. And okay. And one thing you can also always do is, okay, let's look it up, you know, because that's that's also a habit you want to get into when you do anything with programming. So it's like, okay, so what's your question? Can you formulate your question? Then right. they formulate the question <laughs> or try and then you help. And at some point you have a question and then you're like, let's Google this question. And then and then search through the answers together and just give them, you know, like this this essential tool of how do you how do you get to a point from from not even really knowing what your question is to having a, a question that you can ask and then also kind of scanning through the answers that you can find online for something that's relevant that you can try out. I've I have mixed experiences with search engines and I, I keep moving back and forth between using things like Google and um, DuckDuckGo and things like that. And mm -hmm. I've had a recent, you know, a couple tests that I've been trying out where the, the, <laughs> the person that I was listening to said, suggested just type it all out, like literally word for word, exactly everything. Don't try to be clever in what you're asking and trying to figure out like, okay, well, what's the specific 
you know, keyword here and, uh, oh, I'm including the, and, and all these, you know, <laughs> like extra filler words that it didn't matter. Like you're more likely to get there if you, you know, spell out, how do I reinstall this? You know, <laughs> I actually do that. I, I, you do. That's how my search queries are. Okay. I, I literally speak out the question to the search engine that I'm using. And there's people are making fun of me because of it, <laughs> because they're like, you could just make this much shorter, but it usually works okay for me, you know? Right. Well, like how much time are you spending, you know, condensing it down and trying to be clever and, you know, like I, I definitely have tried the, I don't know, Google foo or whatever you want to call it, where you're like, uh, you know, putting quotation marks around these things and, you know, pushing, putting a minus in front of this word. And yeah, that's not, like, I use this sometimes. This, if, uh, if there's, you know, when you see that the answer kind of like includes something all the time that you really don't want in there, I don't know. You talk, you search something for logging and you get, I don't know, forests or something. <laughs> right. Then that's something that minus you can forest. exclude. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, or maybe you really want the word in there and use the quotes. But yeah, for me, that's, it's usually a second step. Like I, I just do a sentence and then if it doesn't work, then maybe I think about something else. Well, and then one of the things that I experienced that was a little frustrating and I haven't been using Google as much partly because of it was the sort of filter bubble thing. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am not. So the, the idea is that as you search specific things, Google trains itself to only show you your world of your uh-huh. view of things like oh he likes this and he likes that and he you know, so it's like made a bunch of additional sort of predictions mm-hmm. about you and so it unfortunately has narrowed off part of the internet from you <laughs> which is kind of weird you know and so like that's why i've kind of have switched browsers from time to time or not necessarily just browsers but you know search engines and just to see what the results are on a different <laughs> platform Mm -hmm. because i was just sort of shocked like i'm always getting kind of the same thing and i'm like this is not the direction i was looking for and so yeah i was always kind of trying to think of other techniques to kind of get past the 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 mess i mean one of the most common ones that i think programmers use is they just paste the whole error message into uh there which actually works pretty well right Mm -hmm. yeah it does yeah I'm I'm also like uh, like I use different search engines and uh, I've I use DuckDuckGo quite a bit and sometimes uh, sometimes I switch to Google but I haven't uh, so I wonder because in the end you always have some sort of an algorithm a search algorithm that gives you results right uh, so but yeah I see that like you can see the one that's not customized to you versus uh, just the general one that they use I guess yeah. I wonder how they implement that with some, probably some identity tracking over this. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Like if you're logged in or not logged in, I think partly too. You oh, know? okay. Yeah. Yeah. But probably also some fingerprinting that they, there's some, yep. <laughs> some pretty, pretty amazing things that, that, can, that browsers can do to kind of like lock down yeah. who's making search requests. Yeah. So as we kind of continue on, the journey what are other kinds of things that you kind of noticed as you were writing the article that you were like okay well what else do you need to think about and we we focused a little bit about kind of moving up that that tree of uh competence and Mm -hmm. and becoming more and more competent to the point where you're you have this level of expertise you talked a little bit about like sort of uh factors that might influence the journey 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we started talking about that with with mentorship being one of those, and uh, I think we also mentioned like that you need to have a good aim or that your aim influences it, whether it's good or not. Just yeah, whatever your aim is, uh, aim motivation and and the background. I think we we mentioned those already. Even though I think the background we didn't really talk about that much. Uh, I guess I, I think it also like the speed of how fast you're gonna learn depends a lot on uh, do you already know some programming before or the basic programming concepts clear to you from another language, then it's going to be easier for, for you to pick up Python than if this is the first programming language and the first time you're exposed to these types of concepts. Yeah. And then there's also some interesting research that shows that people who have some experience with with language, natural language learning, so I don't know if you've learned Spanish or Mandarin, you might have an easier time picking up a programming language too, just because you've established some sort of you know, habits or, or yeah. brain ways that help you with that. But then definitely also, uh, if if you know English well, that's going to be going to make a big difference for Python because uh, what a lot of people praise Python for is that it that it like reads almost like English in some ways. But obviously, if you don't know English, then that's not going to help you that, as much as if lang- if English is your you know your native language. Yeah. So these backgrounds, yeah, uh, background things make a difference and. Then also, because I said time and effort is, is essential, it obviously depends how much time do you have available. Like, are you do you work in a full-time job and you only have your evenings? Maybe you have a family. Right. That's going to severely limit the time that you have available to put into uh, learning Python and that's going to make it slower. That's just, uh, just how it is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I like the... You, you definitely included a lot of resources, specifically real Python resources that people can kind of dive into. We talked a little bit already about the idea of finding those sort of sharp edges or things that are maybe not familiar that that you you can consciously say, okay, I don't know this idea. Like I need to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that keeps coming up in conversations that I have with, you know, experienced programmers is async that comes up very often in these conversations is like, well, do I need to do this? Like, where would I use it? And, you know, like now, okay, now I need to get comfortable with like the structures of it and applications of it. But you have a nice list of like, okay, just start with the syntax (laughs) Mm -hmm. and talking about like, like data types and control structures, functions, um, we have a lot of real deep dives on some of these things where even if you thought that you know what a return statement is, there'll be an article by Laodonis that goes way further <laughs> and and says, okay, well, you know, do you understand the idea of implicit return or you know, explicit return and the idea of like, why does none come out of this thing? And all those kinds of things that you can kind of maybe dive a little deeper if you can kind of get an idea of of that focus that you you mentioned mm-hmm. yeah to to make it also a bit practical and help people along the way i have this list in there to to how, how do you actually get from you know you want to learn python to to actually knowing something about like that you're able to do something and yeah. you mentioned this there's a there's a bunch of links in there of what we consider some essential things that you should be familiar with and just train so that you can then actually build something with it and then being at this stage of you know ability where you can you still have to look up stuff you're not an expert you're you're not playing songs on your guitar without having to think about the guitar at all but uh, you can already play some songs or you can 
you know, read some sheet music and make it happen. <laughs> that's kind of like that stage. And I think that's a, that's a, per for many people, that's a perfectly fine place to be. Uh, again, this depends on what's your reasons and what's your aim. But getting there with Python, I think is pretty much like that's, that's doable again considering all of the other factors that we've talked about for the last half an hour or longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I also give, I, I give some uh, concrete time uh, suggestion in there with, with all these many asterisks, right? That, that says that if you put in four hours of work each day for four months, then you should have a chance to get to a point where, where you have some, some sort of ability with working with Python. And everybody's going to be a little different. And the, the other nice resources that you include kind of at the tail of it is is not only like, you know, RealPython and all the resources there, like the tutorials, the videos, but like quizzes and, and things like that where you can kind of test your knowledge as you go. And the one that we've mentioned a couple times on here are these sort of like challenge sites or where mm -hmm. they can present you with, uh, you know, a, a problem. It could be, you know, again, geared toward the the interview kind of style thing, or just in general, like I know there's people that like to solve puzzles and, you know, programming is definitely the, <laughs> one of the higher forms of, of, you know, puzzle solving in my opinions, like going in and, you know, figuring out how to create these solutions out of these problems. And you gave like about five different sites there, which I think is great mm -hmm. for uh, kind of challenging people. Yeah. That, at that point, it's then about finding what works best for you because you're going to be a different learner than, the person sitting next to you so you just you just gotta explore a little use different resources and see which one is the most engaging for you and then just focus on those i think that would be a suggestion i have because uh it's gonna be easier to stick with it and put the time and the effort that's necessary into it if if it's engaging to you yeah cool so i wanted to share some recent projects that are out there kind of in the community stuff that you're interested in and and maybe i'll start I found a, a recent project. Uh, it's called Pretty Maps, and it takes several different libraries. Uh, the project is by Marcelo Prates. I'm guessing how to pronounce it. And it uses OpenStreetMap data, and then it builds on top of these four other libraries, OSMNX, Matplotlib, Shapely, and VS Sketch. And then it has like you know a couple other resources you need to add, like some different fonts and things. But it makes these very pretty, like kind of work of art <laughs> maps where it's plotted it out and then has like kind of nice backgrounds and then, you know, kind of writing on it that if you wanted to like, you know, maybe there's a, a particular area of your city or a place where you live that's fairly like iconic looking. I was thinking of a place I, I you know, recently moved from Hawaii and I lived on the, the opposite side of Oahu in this area called Kailua, and it has a very distinctive uh, pair of islands that are just off the side of it um, that you see in all these pictures and so forth. And so I was like, oh, I could make kind of a neat little map that would actually show that area and kind of remind me of, you know, my time living there. But they have these really nice, there's actually a Reddit, a subreddit for it also, pretty maps. And they have some examples from like Sweden, um, in France, um, Tokyo. And they, a couple they other look really pretty. Yeah. I yeah. Just looked at them online. Yeah. And um, so I got it set up. It, it took a little bit of work kind of getting going. There's a lot of little, little resources that you, you need. So setting up in a virtual environment ended up being a little different 
because I need to get to the assets that involve like the this uh, particular font and then where it would save the pictures. But I got it running and then I was able to use the built-in uh, script that they had inside there and I was able to modify it and you know point mm-hmm. it at it. And so it's something I'm definitely going to play more with and I, I really like the results and, you know, I'm a big fan of visualizations, as people probably know <laughs> by this point. And so things that are using that and then kind of making these little works of art, I think might be fun. So check it out. It's on, on GitHub, uh, Pretty Maps. So what project did you have? So I recently, well, let me think, uh, I came uh, I came across this because I was making some research for um, talking about classes in Python. And you know how there's, there's often, um, you know, making some sort of animal classes is often an example that's that's being used yeah and actually i have a background in biology uh, and so i was interested whether there is some sort of library that really models relationships in in you know in an evolutionary tree hmm. uh, models that in classes i was just curious to find something like that and went on a little exploration and uh, ended up finding a tool that's called the ete toolkit that is probably it might be very well known with people who are actually doing something with programming and biology at this point, but uh, it's a pretty fun suite of libraries, I guess, that you can use to visualize trees in general, but also phylogenetic trees. So um, I found that one interesting. Uh, we can put a link in there, but you can oh yeah, you can actually connect to um, the NCBI database that has like uh, uh, files that you can either download or just. Uh, interact with the API and then put in a couple of, you know, different, maybe you want to see the distance between uh, humans and cats, uh, <laughs> how are they related? And you can punch in this this data in a command line interface and then build uh, a little image that shows you the, the different uh, phylogenetic tree around that. And I thought that was pretty fun uh, and something to explore a little. So is it, I'm, I'm going to pronounce it weird, but phylogenomic, is is that the the term and then what was the so it's looking at the genomes and then the the phylos are like the different uh-huh. orders that kind right. of break out the different trees okay mm-hmm. and then what was the other you said there was a particular database and you mentioned the acronym for it uh-huh. um that's the ncbi database okay that, that's like a i think it's some let me see what it is exactly uh it's some american um association that collects this and has a taxonomy database. Yeah. Okay. It stands for probably nationally national something. Cool. We'll include links for that too. Yeah, this is cool. And then there's like a whole cookbook mm-hmm. for building these trees. That's very cool. Nice. All right. Thanks for coming on the show again, Martin. It's been fun talking to you. Yeah, same. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, it's always nice to chat with you and talk about learning and Python. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure we'll have some further conversations soon. Thanks. All right. Bye. Don't forget, you can try out Rev AI with your first five hours for free at rev.ai. That's R-E-V dot A-I. I want to thank Martin Broyce for coming on the show again. And I want to thank you for listening to The Real Python Podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. 
And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.